Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we break down Mad Max one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 68, which begins with Jesse being pursued in the woods, and it ends with Max handing Jesse off to May. We are so close to being out of the woods. Like... (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We have been either going to the beach through the woods or coming back from the beach through the woods for like three days now. We are on day number four. Yes. It's starting to feel like the Knight Rider sequence where analyzing it minute to minute, it felt like that was the whole movie. Yeah. Because we just spent so much time there. It's starting to feel that way. This is the only part of the movie that matters anymore. And we're just so into running through the woods. Yeah. And it's... But things (laughs) progress quickly. Yeah. From here. Yeah, we don't need to worry about talking about how we see a quick shot of Jesse running and then a quick shot of the bikers running and switch back and forth between that ad nauseum. I mean, granted, that's how we start the minute. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But we won't have that too much longer. No. So that's a relief. What's not a relief is what we find very early on in this minute. Like, not even... Two and a half seconds into the minute, Jessie is running through the woods and she runs up against something that is hanging from a tree. And it is brown and furry. Okay, my notes say Jessie runs into an animal. Is it an animal caught in a trap? Is it hung up to bleed? You know, prepping it for whatever? It did not even occur to me that it was Toby the dog. Mm-hmm. Not until we were going over our notes and you said it was Toby. Yeah, so this brown bag of fluff and raw meat is supposed to be Toby. The whole idea that when Toby ran off the beach and went up into the woods that the bikers got a hold of him, yep. killed him, and then strung him up in a tree. Yes. Now, if that's the case, which, I mean, I'm assuming it is. Mm-hmm. Because in the... They got pretty lucky that Jesse actually ran that exact way. Yeah. There's... Well, I think we found from other experiences with the Acolytes that they are incredibly lucky about people going the exact route that they would anticipate them to go. Yes. They could also have been driving her that way. Mm -hmm. We do see them running, like, back and forth a lot. So maybe it was an effort to not only intimidate and frighten her by coming from all sides, but also to drive her towards this... This thing meant for intimidation and fear that they went through the effort to set up for her. Mm-hmm. If you're going to go through all that effort, your person might as well see it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's definitely supposed to be Toby. But in reality, it's just a stuffed animal. And I don't even think it's necessarily a stuffed dog. I think it's like a stuffed bear or something like that. Yeah, you got a pretty good look at like its snout and ears. Yeah, when it spins around, like it doesn't even look like Toby. <laughs> It didn't even occur to me that it might be Toby. Yeah. I mean, it's comforting that Toby the actor is fine. Toby the character, not supposed to be fine. But at the same time, it just doesn't look close enough. Right. And it doesn't connect. And Jessie doesn't react like she just saw her dog, her puppy, her brand new puppy strung up. Yeah. Like, she doesn't react to that. She's got other things on her mind. Yeah, I think... 
she's so frightened and distressed that she can't necessarily even make heads or tails that this is supposed to be her dog. Yeah. At this point, she's being chased and she runs up against this awful looking thing. And all she can do is just keep moving. Yes. Like she doesn't even get the chance to process. And I say that she doesn't get a chance to process. Nobody seems to miss Toby because just awful things keep happening. <laughs> right. I don't think the dog is even like wondered about for the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. This moment where she runs into where she runs into Toby, I think is diminished a little bit because she already had an animal encounter. Mm-hmm. She ran into the pigeons last minute. So it's like she just keeps running into a series of animals. Yeah. I think the main importance of her running into this thing from the Build a Nightmare workshop is to hammer home the fact that no, this is all real. Yes. Like, I really That's loved the idea point. of all of this, you know, being paranoia or her hearing things and being frightened in the woods. But the fact that Toby ran off from the beach and now he's turning up again, you know, butchered in a tree, like the danger is real. This isn't hysterics. This isn't her imagining things based on a prior experience. They are really in the woods with her. Yes. And I think that's more for our benefit than for her detriment, I guess I could say. Like it was thrown in there. That way we can't sit back and yeah, imagine it's home not to happening. Us, the the danger is real. I don't think she I don't think she really processed it enough to right. to change her level of awareness about the situation. She already felt like her life was in danger. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think seeing her dog strung up mm-hmm. changed that. I still kind of wonder, like, what was the point of having Toby in the movie? Like, what did he accomplish? Because they bought him on the side of the road when they were on vacation, and Toby ended up serving the purpose of finding Kundalini's hand hanging from the back of the van. Yes. And now Toby follows Jesse out to the beach, notices the bikers in the woods, but doesn't, like, do anything about it. He doesn't pull a lassie and, you know, point out where Timmy's in Right, he never, like, barks or anything to indicate that there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then next thing we know, he's run off into the woods and then he's dead. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like we needed another sacrifice in the campaign of making the Acolytes look terrible. No, I don't. I agree. I don't think we did. Well, I think a good reason for Toby to have gone to the beach with her is the visuals at the beach. Mm-hmm. I think we as viewers needed something that ran around more freely to to visually make the beach scene more interesting, to lull us into a sense of relaxation and calm. Because we know dogs, they just have an instinct and they hear things that we don't. And if the dog is just playing around, then things are good. Mm-hmm. Going back to the scene itself, Jesse runs into this thing. She bats it away. It swings around in the tree. We see two distinct shots of what is supposed to be Toby hanging in the the tree. I kind of wonder, like, is it too, too many? Like, oh, did we really need to see it? Yeah. Like, did we really need to see it a second time? I think because the first shot was so quick, the the second angle on the thing swinging was probably pretty useful. Because the first time we see the butchered stuffed animal is only about one second of film time, and then the second time we see it swinging, it's a little under two seconds. So we get three seconds total. It's not a ton of time, and you really need a few seconds to really be able to process stuff like that. 
um, it just felt, I don't know, a little gratuitous the la- the second time around, probably because when we saw it the second time, Jesse had batted it away from her face and it was swinging like it was. Yeah, I don't think that did any favors to the idea of a connection between an animal and its owner. Yeah. I don't know. I, I know that in a situation like this, it, it it's tough to say it out loud. It's tough to think about. But when but there's a difference between the life of an animal and the life of a human. Mm-hmm. And in this moment, she needed and it was proper for her to worry about her own life rather than be concerned for the life of the dog. Yeah. Besides, like we've said several times before, did they really have an opportunity to bond with this dog? Like, <laughs> well, an we argument don't... can be made that she just did. Yeah. She just spent an afternoon with him. Just the two of them. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I remember th- the point I was going to make about the dog on the beach. Yeah. Um, it also served for Jesse not to be alone, for her to have a companion. Mm-hmm. If Jesse had been alone on the beach, it would have felt a little bit more sinister. Um, but since she had such an active companion, it really like brought up the mood of the whole scene. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I still just, I still just wonder, was it necessary? I think so. I think the dog actually serves more of a purpose than Sprog. <laughs> I think the dog does more for the movie than Sprague does. Yeah, the dog definitely does more. Yep. I, I will agree with you there. Because uh, Sprague pretty much just sits around. And gets kidnapped. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually the only... That's going to sound horrible. That's the only useful thing he did. Mm-hmm. The only thing that he did in the movie to actually move the plot at all was get kidnapped. Mm-hmm. And I think that could have been achieved in a different way. Se- setting up that the final conflict could have been achieved in a different way. Mm. But we will get into Sprague in the next couple of minutes. Yeah. I have opinions. Yeah, there's going to be more Sprague talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Jesse runs past Toby. Yep. Swatting him away. Mm-hmm. And she keeps running. And then... The next obstacle in her path, she runs into Benno. Mm-hmm. This is the first time we meet him properly. His presentation is, especially to Jessie in her state of mind, quite frightening. Mm-hmm. She's not really looking where she's going, especially she's running on a slight uphill. So so he, he just kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And I like the way they shot this because it's a panning shot following her as she runs up the hill and all of our focus is on Jesse and Benno just kind of without even moving enters mm-hmm. frame right and as she runs headlong into him yeah I like that he like doesn't even flinch she doesn't move he is just a wall and she runs right into him mm-hmm. and you get the sense that Benno isn't actively chasing her he isn't following her or anything like that. He's just kind of standing there watching all of this happen. Yeah. And she just happens to run into him. Yes. And his, so he's, you know, he's quite large. He's missing some of his front teeth. The lighting on Benno is horrific. Yeah, when we see him. Which is on purpose. Yeah, when we see him react to Jesse running into him, like, he laughs. He he doesn't really understand what's going because, you know, he's simple. And, yeah, where he's kind of lit from below, it's... It's an interesting angle to put lights at. <laughs> right. And completely not natural. I mean, it's it's a sunny day in the woods. There's no direct source of light. Mm-hmm. He should just be, you know, lit in general. Yeah, so... So he, he shouldn't have those strong shadows that he does have. The lighting is not doing him any favors. It's not. But yeah, Jesse runs headlong into him and then she like screams. Yes. And I... Back to the lighting real quick. I suppose it's meant to show... To to show him the way Jesse sees him. That in her makes panic, sense. 
we see him the way Jesse sees him. Yeah. Which is more frightening than he really is. Yeah, because he's, he's pretty gentle. Yeah. But she is caught off guard and she screams and she gets away from him as fast as she can. And I gotta say, I don't feel like her scream was one of those, oh, come and help me, help me, I'm in distress, I'm a damsel. Yes. It's sort of a, a scream of exasperation, sort of a how else would you react in that scenario when you're running for your life, you are certain you're being followed, you just ran into someone and you can't really articulate much more than that. Mm-hmm. I think she was also startled. Mm-hmm. She didn't see him coming, she just appeared. So Jesse finally screams. We flash back to Max real quick, who hears her. Now, I did she scream twice? So she screams initially when she runs into Benno. Yeah. And then based on the shots that we've seen, she kind of breaks left, pushes away, and then keeps running. And as she's pushing away to keep running, she kind of lets out kind of a slightly quieter scream. Yeah. But still Enough pretty loud. to reach Max. And it's that second scream where we see Max really turn around. One scream is one thing, but two screams, that's definitely worth taking action for. Yes. So he runs to the back of the wagon, grabs his gun, uh, which, by the way, the back of the wagon where he keeps his gun is the same place where they keep the baby. Yeah. We've said it before. We'll say it again. Their cavalier attitude about keeping loaded firearms within hand's reach of Sprague is incredibly irresponsible because toddlers will straight up shoot you. <laughs> like, that's a statistical fact. You give a toddler a gun and they will pull that trigger without a moment's hesitation because they are bloodthirsty little monsters oh. <laughs> you put that power in their hands i am and it goes not going to disagree with you <laughs> like i would never give a toddler a loaded gun because i frankly do not trust them no nope they don't walk straight they make bad decisions they slur their words all the time they're essentially drunk people yes yeah toddlers are essentially drunk frat boys <laughs> <laughs> okay so Jesse keeps running, which is the theme of the last several minutes is Jesse yeah. keeps running. <laughs> uh, Bono runs after her. Certainly not malicious in any way. No, no. He's just, it's more entertaining to follow her than to stay there. Yeah. Based on what May told Jesse earlier and what we see of Benno in this movie, he just hangs out in the woods. That's just what he does. Mm -hmm. That's his daily activity and how he fills his time. And... If he's just hanging out in the woods, walking around the trees, and someone runs up to him, bumps into him, and then keeps running, well, there must be something interesting that they're going to see. He might as well just follow them. Yeah. And it's not like he's, you know, pursuing in a particularly speedy manner. He's just kind of loping along. Yeah. I mean, granted, he's like two feet taller than her, and right. so he doesn't need <laughs> so to Right, so he can't just lope along while she's running. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in this shot, when after he follows Jesse, we get a good look at the backside of him. Mm -hmm. And his pants, which are tan, have this large V, like, up his back and over his bum of, like, dark fabric. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really think anything of it at first. I thought it was, like, an old-school Australian style. Mm -hmm. But then we watched the crew commentary for these few minutes, and they pointed out that that fabric was added that May just let out his pants as he grew and got bigger and bigger. So that fabric is added so that he would still fit in his pants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that detail because... Yeah, it's something that, that 
I never would have gotten on my own, Mm -hmm. but maybe other people saw that and knew exactly what it was. And it kind of adds a little bit of a layer to the relationship that May and Benno share because the crew commentary, they basically say right out that Benno is just May's son. Yes, they do point out that he is his son. He lives with her her on the farm. And, you know, is simple and whatnot. But, you know, she mends and maintains and alters his clothing Mm -hmm. and takes care of him because that's what a loving mother will do for her, you know, gigantic, simple son. Yeah. And it may seem like a mark of not being able to afford new clothes or, you know, be struggling in some way. But every other aspect of his clothing, he's very neat and tidy. Mm -hmm. His hair is combed. He's very well taken care of. Yeah. He's not like covered in dirt. So it's not like he lives out there in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. So May takes very, very good care of him. Mm -hmm. And that is one way that she can make a pair of pants last longer. So she does. Yeah. Because you imagine if, if the whole world is going down in a spiral, new pairs of pants are probably going to be fewer and fewer Mm -hmm. as you go. So you got to take care of what you have. And she takes very good care. Yeah. If those pants are old enough to, for him to have outgrown and they're still in excellent condition, Mm -hmm. that is a feat. Certainly. Certainly. Especially considering that he's able to be that neat living on that size of a farm. Yes. That far out from any town that we've seen. Yeah. Because I can promise you, if I grew up on a farm like that, like my clothes would be in tatters, like playing in the woods and climbing down to the beach. I'd be a wreck. Mm -hmm. So Jesse and Benno are running out of the woods. We see a shot of Max running towards the woods and he's got the shotgun from the back of the van. And we kind of meet in the middle as Jesse and Benno emerge from the woods and are running across a field. Yes, how convenient that we meet in the middle right where May is just standing still. Yeah, because May was sitting over by the trees that Max yes. just ran through. And so, so she, she probably, probably heard the screams as well. She yep. might have also seen them running out of the woods. Mm-hmm. By the time that Max catches up to them, they're quite far from the woods. Oh, yeah. They seem to be almost to the house, but we don't really get that sense of landscape. So oh. it's hard to tell. So Max finally makes it to Jesse and she just collapses into his arms. Yes. Like, so her adrenaline takes this opportunity to just go kaput. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's reached Max. She, someone that she trusts and knows is capable of taking care of the situation. So she finally feels safe. It's time for her to collapse. Yep. And before she just completely... <laughs> goes incoherent she's able to shout out the men Mm -hmm. and so max says what men and then he continues says come on now you calm down and tell me what's the matter he's looking for answers but jesse is in no condition to really pass along information i don't love that he tells her to calm down yeah it's like she's she's exhausted and she's very winded like Mm -hmm. yes she is upset because she's been through something upsetting but she's also physically spent yeah she can't tell you it's not a matter of calming down yeah and it's a I matter mean, of her she needs some time to recover and then she can probably tell you all the details but for right now the men yeah that's what you get and i mean max is there and he's struggling to like keep her on her feet and it's like okay now is not the best time to be fact finding right i'm surprised that he didn't like run with the men like what men do you think Mm-hmm. She's talking about, like, why don't you hear the men and know exactly what's going yeah. on and exactly who is in those woods? I say that kind of springs back to her 
I think, sugarcoating her experience at the ice cream shop. Mm. You know, I don't think she expressed to Max the full extent of the characters that she ran into. Yes, I I agree. We also get that sense that she told May nothing of all of that. Right. Because May right out starts chastising poor Benno mm-hmm. for causing her so much distress. Yeah, because May thinks that Benno scared Jesse. Yes. And I mean, like, it makes sense because May told Jesse, if you run into Benno, don't let him bother you. So she's already in that mindset that Benno would be bothering Jesse in some way. Right. So he's kind of starting off this whole thing with the short end of the stick. Yes. Which is unfortunate. I... May's attitude toward Benno, I don't know, it disappoints me a little bit. Like, this is Benno's home. You don't have to make excuses for him. Mm -hmm. Yes, you expect him to be well-behaved and not, you know, terrorize guests, but it's his home. This is where he can be him. I imagine that Benno probably was sat down by May that morning and told told no we have guests you know laid out a scenario for him to follow and she expected him to be extra polite or something like that but and i wonder if that's why he was so clean probably and his hair was combed and yeah because they had guests i think that's exactly what it was and it's just it's unfortunate because it's not the case yeah and max is pretty quick to interrupt may as she's you know scolding benno to step in and pretty much put Jesse in May's May's arms, like pass her off. Yeah. And say, you know, we've got trouble here. Max tells May specifically, you call the Dark One and you tell him to get here as fast as he can. And May's like, why? What's going on? And Max says, I think we've got some hoon trouble. And so when you were listening to the minute the first couple of times. Yeah, I thought I heard Dark One, Mm -hmm. but that didn't make any sense to me. So then my second guess was Doctor. Mm-hmm. So I thought that he was having May call the doctor so the doctor could come and, you know, calm this troubled woman in a very, you know, old-fashioned way. Mm-hmm. Sedate her because she's upset and hysterical. <laughs> so I'm glad that that's not the case. <laughs> but yeah, it's totally understandable to try and figure out what he means when he says the Dark One because we've never had a no. mention of the Dark One before in this movie. And when I originally watched it, I thought he was talking about how May needs to go called Ziggy because he was wearing a dark coat. Yes. And he's the only other police yeah. officer in this area that is familiar with May's farm. And so I always found it interesting that he said call the Dark One instead of call Ziggy or right. call the sheriff or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like maybe it was local slang for the MFP because mm-hmm. they wear dark jackets and sometimes dark pants. Yeah. So I went on madmaxmovies.com which has a trivia page, very similar to IMDb's trivia page. Okay. And they actually had an entry about the dark one who is, you know, not Rumpelstiltskin from that ABC show about the fairy tale <laughs> characters or anything like that. That guy is Scottish, he's not Australian. Anyway, The Dark One, according to MadMaxMovies.com, was actually meant to be Max's partner. But apparently he was eliminated from the film somewhere between the scripting stage and the actual production. Interestingly enough, when you look at Max's yellow interceptor, there's kind of stenciled writing on the side that lists two names. M. Rokitansky for Max, and then underneath it says The Dark One. And the whole idea is that it's listing the officers that ride in that vehicle. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, at some point, Max had an original partner that was just nicknamed the Dark One. Okay, so a couple of things. 
first of all, shame on us for not catching that on the interceptor. <laughs> we very rarely see the side of the interceptor, so I'm not surprised that we didn't see it before. Did you go back and like see it for yourself? In the entry, there is a screenshot of a close-up side of Max's interceptor. Okay, so theoretically, it was there for us to see. Mm-hmm. And we didn't see it. Yep, didn't even I feel like we have time. failed as minute-by-minute minute podcasters. I say if... Missing that interesting detail. I say if we are going by that type of criteria, then we are <laughs> so far in the hole. Yeah. As far as noticing details are concerned, because there's a lot that we have missed. <laughs> yes, definitely. But I just find it interesting that there's this entire character that was taken out. And we were talking off microphone about this idea. And I think this character of the Dark One was removed because when Goose is out of commission, he's riding with Max, essentially as Max's partner. Yes. And if Max had a pre-existing partner in the Dark One... Throwing Goose into the mix would put three guys in one patrol car. It would just, you know, three's a crowd. I think it would have changed the dynamic between Max and Goose. Mm -hmm. We were shown quite a lot their relationship and how they're best friends. And that, that, serves, to, that serves to stress the significance of Goose's death, which combined with other events makes him go mad. Mm -hmm. I think it's more important that we focus on that relationship. Yes, to the detriment of other officers in Max's professional life. Yes. That also answers the question I think we had way back in the beginning of the movie, is why doesn't Max have a partner? Mm -hmm. Why does Max get his own car and everybody else has a partner? I say, because the Cause answer he... to that was he did have a partner originally. Yes. <laughs> he just died on the cutting room floor. Oh, yeah, the yeah. death for Max to deal with. Yeah, well... Is it really a death for him to deal with if he never never met that person? In, I don't in know. Place? According to the movie, he knew the Dark One. <laughs> yeah, it's an odd thing that they didn't Catch change that. that line in some way. Yeah. Because not only does Max mention it, but May, when she's on the phone tomorrow, is going to mention, you know, sending the Dark One as well. Ah, okay. So I think where this character was cut out from the movie, initially, our assumption of, okay, maybe she's just talking about Ziggy, it just... It feels nice to think of, considering that we missed out on this other person in the movie. Yeah, and it would make sense for Max to ask specifically for Ziggy. He is already familiar with the situation and the type of people who are in the woods. And he knows, you know, he's familiar with May's farm. Mm -hmm. That's very handy. It also makes me wonder, so back to the dark one. Max wanted the Dark One, who is from MFP headquarters, mm -hmm. to drive up to May's farm as fast as he can, mm -hmm. while danger is imminent. Like, a few minutes, things are going to get much worse within a few minutes Yeah, in, in their time, and in like a minute and a half in our time. How fast did he think they, that the Dark One was going to be able to get there? Yeah. Now, as we watched the journey of... You know, the vacationing family. It was really unclear how long it took, but it was at least an entire day, if not a couple more. Mm -hmm. I, With how many fades they used. Yes. And the fact that it was part of a montage. Yes. Yeah, and, we don't know exactly how long that trip was. Yeah, and Ziggy actually said, May's expecting you at the farm tomorrow. Yeah. So it was another day of driving between the scene with Ziggy and when they actually got to May's place. So I I just don't see the usefulness of calling for Max's partner, who, if his nickname is the Dark One, his reputation would suggest that he was 
formidable and would be a handy person to have in this situation. Mm. And it makes sense so, in the course of the movie if Max's partner is the dark one that Max would want his partner yes, to come like back. They work up. well together. They understand each other. Just think he's too far away to yeah. be useful. Yeah, because they've got hoon trouble. Yes. Yeah. So I looked up the etymology behind hoon. Hoon. Which is a noun. Um, its origin is uncertain, but it was used initially as a general term of abuse. It first appeared in print in the book Capricornia in 1938 from Australian writer Xavier Herbert. Herbert wrote a letter in 1941 where he stated that he had heard the term in his youth. It has a couple of different definitions over the years. In the 1930s, it was slang for a worthless person, a hooligan, or lout. In the 50s, it referred to also someone who might have been a pimp. And in later decades, it meant to mean a person who drives excessively quickly, loudly, or irresponsibly. Uh, For instance, a street drag racer often driving heavily customized cars. So the idea of being these motorhead street toughs, you know, we've got hoon trouble. Okay, okay. I guess the third one, the one that would be contemporary to the film, Mm -hmm. does fit the best. The first time you went over those definitions with me, I'm like, I, I... I thought that the first one from the... 30s? Yes. Fit the best. I'm like, that's weird that they're using a 30s definition for a 70s movie. But yeah, okay. The the, the correct one, mm-hmm. timing-wise, fits, I guess. But yeah. So Max hands off Jesse to May, and that's pretty much where we wrap up the minute. Mm-hmm. So just as soon as Jesse heads out of the woods, Max is going to be heading right back into the woods. We cannot get away from these woods just yet, but we're going to talk about that more tomorrow. Yes. So join us tomorrow. In the meantime, our website is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute, like us on Facebook, and join our listeners page, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. Thank you for joining us for Mad Max Minute number 68. We'll see you tomorrow. Motorbikes and men men Take me to the end of the dream Hold on tight